millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to another round of the Politics Joe podcast. My name is Ava Santina and I'm the political correspondent here. This week, I've been speaking to Zoe Gardner, who is an asylum expert, a campaigner and researcher who's also given evidence to several select committees in Parliament contributing to nationality and borders bills over the years. This week, controversially, Rishi Sunak got his third reading of the Rwanda bill through Parliament and we sat down to debunk some of the myths surrounding asylum seekers that were espoused by Tory MPs this week. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show cast. So Zoe Gardner, you are a researcher, campaigner and general expert in UK and EU refugees and migration. So we're talking today because last night Rishi Sunak got the third reading of his key Rwanda bill through the House of Commons after a Tory rebellion failed to materialise. This morning he held a press conference in which he pleaded with the House of Lords to back the Rwanda plan and he asked if the opposition in the House of Lords will try and frustrate the will of the people as expressed by the elected House or will they get on board and do the right thing? So for me, this morning's presser kind of felt self-indulgent. You know, he rolled out his new line, stick with us to deliver long-term change. And the plan is working, apparently, he tells us. But to me, it didn't really feel like there was much new information. Did you learn anything? Uh no, well, I suppose I learned how, how again, how weak and scared Rishi Sunak is. Um, he's uh, in a position where he's trying to bully the Lords into supporting um, in waving through his illegal and totally immoral Rwanda farce lie of a bill. Um, and um, and he's trying to say that that's, you know, that, that he has the democratic legitimacy to do that. But the reason why he has to do that is because uh, the Lords can see perfectly clearly that the uh, manifesto on which he was elected, uh, the only thing it had to say about refugees is that the UK will continue to protect 
refugees in line with our international obligations. And so the Lords have every right under those circumstances to say this bill wasn't in your manifesto. And so they can delay it and they can delay it long enough to get us to an election where we'll see what the will of the people really is. Um, and, and, and all indications are that the will of the people is to get rid of Rishi Sunak and the Conservative government. So he's in a desperate position of, of pleading with the Lords, trying to make it look like um, that they, they're they not in a legitimate position to delay this bill, but they are, and they need to stand firm. I mean, I think you're bang on. I mean, when he was asked twice, I think, you know, will a plane take off before the election to Rwanda? He couldn't answer it. So, I mean, it, it just feels like a very futile plan. But let's go back a little bit and um, bust some of the myths around the Rwanda plan and asylum seekers in general. So the first clip that we've got is Jonathan Gullis. Now, this is when you were appearing in a select committee giving evidence to the Nationality and Borders Bill. If these people in Calais are legitimate refugees, why are they not claiming asylum in France, Italy, Spain or Greece? Why do they need to come to the United Kingdom? Um, As I'm sure you'll be aware, because I think the previous witness did say this, the vast majority of people who seek asylum worldwide, firstly, 86% of refugees and displaced people worldwide, remain in the country neighboring the one they have fled. So 86% of people remain in developing countries. Um, France received three times as many asylum applications as we did last year. Most people stop as soon as they feel safe. But the people who are making their way to England and who specifically wish to come to the UK do so because they have ties to this country because they either have served with our military as in the case of people from Afghanistan or have family members as with the Syrian client that I mentioned um, that JCWI is representing or speak the language because of our colonial history and have other um, ties of kinship um, and history here. So there are people who have legitimate ties to the UK and there is no good reason why they should particularly have their claims assessed in France if they do not wish to. It doesn't really work for us to say to the French that given that we're geographically located slightly to the west of you, none of these refugees are our responsibility and they're all on you because France can say the same thing and then Italy can say the same thing and then the entire international refugee protection system will crumble. So Zoe, just to be very simple, why are they not claiming asylum in France, Italy, Spain or Greece and why do they need to come to the United Kingdom? I think if you try to imagine that you're asking that question to an Italian, asking an Italian person why all the asylum seekers who enter Europe can't just stay in Italy, then you can see immediately the problem with the question. And the answer is absolutely obvious. This is a shared responsibility. This is if if we give in to that narrative, then refugees simply won't find protection because every country can push people back and, and wash their hands of protecting people. And as a country, in fact, as a continent, we believe that refugees who are fleeing from danger must be able to find protection. The problem is each one of our countries thinks, yeah, yeah, sure, they should find protection, just not here. Um, And it doesn't work for us to pass the buck and pass the buck. Uh, It doesn't work for us to say that Italy should take in all of the refugees. It doesn't work for us to say France will. And it doesn't work for France to say that to Italy either. Um, and, And we're caught in this ridiculous race to the bottom with every country saying that it's all very well that these refugees need protection, but it shouldn't be on us. Um, And that simply isn't good enough and it doesn't reflect reality. And the reality is that the Britain colonized um, half of the world. People have links to this country. We have well-established diaspora communities from all over the world that thrive and that are part of our British communities. And those links 
are the reason people need to come to the UK sometimes. That it's not not even a majority. It's not even more more people than go to other countries. It's not. It's 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 totally manageable number of people who seek to come to the UK. They come here because of the connections that they have to this country that we cannot erase. Um, and and quite simply, we have to do our fair share. Sticking with Jonathan Gullis from that select committee. He also said that people crossing the channel are all economic migrants and they're not refugees. With the thousands of pounds being put into the hands of people smugglers from illegal economic migrants, does that not show us that ultimately these people are not genuine refugee asylum people like we have seen over from Afghanistan we brought through safe and legal routes and through Syria through safe and legal routes? Is that true? No, that's not true. Um, And I've kind of... I wonder how to answer this because let, let's start with what a refugee is. The definition of a refugee is somebody who has escaped a well-founded fear of persecution in their home country. So given that we know that the, the majority of the people crossing the channel like are from Afghanistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Iraq, Iran, um, and, and we look at the figures and it quite simply is the case that they are found to be refugees, um, we, we know that they are escaping danger and they do fit that definition. But obviously, that's not really what Jonathan Gullis is saying. He's saying that, again, he's going back to the idea that they just shouldn't be here. Now, he He's not denying that somebody escaping Afghanistan is escaping danger. He's just denying the fact that they have a, a any right to come here, that, they, that, that we should have any responsibility for them. And the truth is we do have responsibility for them. And that people from Afghanistan and Eritrea and Sudan are human beings just as fully and completely as anybody else. And escaping from war or from persecution does not prevent you from needing a life where you can support yourself and your family and you you have opportunities and a future. And actually, refugees deserve that just as much as anybody else. And if you put yourself in their shoes, you can see perfectly well why some people need to go to the places where they have connections, such as to the UK. Mm. So now we've got Leah Nietzsche. Leonici was a minister in Liz Truss's short-lived administration. That, I think that was the first time and the only time that she shot to prominence. But she was very vocal in Tuesday's debate uh, during the third reading of the Rwanda bill. Um, and she asked this. And I, I perhaps I'm being um, uh, facetious in this, but perhaps um, seeing as though so many illegal migrants are fleeing France, perhaps we should now start thinking about a Safety of France Act next. <laughs> so, Zoe, do you you think we need a Safety of France Act? Oh, I don't think we need another lying bill that pretends something, <laughs> it, it tries to legislate like reality into being different from what it is. In fact, I think what we need is, um, you know, an objective reality wake up call and everybody who, you know, still clings to the fact that objective reality matters needs to, you know, speak up in its defense at the moment. If you look at what happens in France to refugees, actually, you know, it is a safe country for for lots of people and for lots of people it's not. And people who are on the move through France are horribly mistreated. They are left destitute. Um, They uh, are 
camped out. I mean, if you think of how cold it is at the moment in those conditions, in the mud, in across the northern coast of France, a few thousand people at any given time. I mean, two of the richest countries in the world leaving these people with no solution. Um, and if they're, you know, prevented from leaving in a boat by the French police, they're just dumped back into that destitution. There is no solution for those people in France. Um, and so while France does take in more refugees and asylum seekers than the UK does, the ones who are seeking to come to the UK are not have not yet found that solution, have not yet found that safety. And quite simply, they still need it. And we need to step up and, and take responsibility to, to share that, to share that responsibility with France and to, to stop pushing, passing the back back and forth again. I have to say it, you know, the, the French um, uh, mayor of a northern French town the other day blamed the UK um, and the UK's policies for the situation of refugees dying in the channel. And then we have our politicians standing up and blaming the French um, for uh, their treatment of refugees, as if between France and the UK, who once again colonized the entire world between us, um, cannot find solutions for a few thousand people who are destitute, who are homeless. Um, it's much easier and more politically uh, beneficial to keep pushing responsibility back and forth, but that doesn't find solutions for these people and ultimately they will not disappear. Do you think there's also um, a question over, I mean, so France is a secular country and in my experiences of reporting from Calais, I've seen police officers, um, kick asylum seekers i've seen them destroy their tents i've seen them move um people from place to place i mean some of the treatment that i have personally witnessed is actually abhorrent so maybe there is a question about whether france is a safe country actually for a lot of those asylum seekers like i mean perhaps some xenophobia does come into play I think that probably is the case. I mean, certainly um, when people have experienced that kind of mistreatment by um, the officers of the state in a country, it is reasonable, totally reasonable and understandable why they don't think that will be a safe country for them. If they've, if they've been beaten up and had their, their few meager possessions stolen from them by the police of a country, then it is absurd to ask them to then ask that country to protect them, they are not protected objectively. It's it's so clear that they are being mistreated. So yes, there is an issue there, and that is an issue that like it is right to hold France to account for. And France has its own brand of anti-migration politics um, and of racism that you know is is actually a very serious problem. And we sh should be really proud that in the UK, while we do very clearly have major problems uh, with racism uh, and, and with anti-migrant politics, we are actually, generally speaking, a really well-integrated country with really, like, as I was saying, thriving communities from all around the world um, where racism is not as openly um, professed as it is in France. And where I think there would be massive protests if the police went and started abusing homeless um, migrants in tents on the streets in London, I think that wouldn't we wouldn't stand for that. So so we are able to protect people, and we should be really proud of that. Um, and we should be pressuring with the French to do better. Um, but we should be proud of the fact that people think they'll be safe here and that they can belong here, no matter where they come from or what the color of their skin is or what their religion is. That's that's an actually you know in in terms of things you. Can 
can be proud about the country for that is like top of my list and that you know i actually think it's the tories who are doing the our country down by saying that we're unable to help these people of course we are mm-hmm. brilliant country in that respect say hello to a new era of mental health care cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support 100 online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Not another one? It's the Politics Show podcast. All right, so Rishi Sunak, this is from his press conference that happened this morning. Now, he was trotting out the line that Albania, the Albania plan, which is the returns agreement that they have signed with that country, is proof that Rwanda will work as a deterrent. Do you think that's true? No. Um, Isn't there's, there's a really, really... Okay, there's two sides to this. First of all, there's the really, really clear, obvious thing, which is that you're talking about sending Albanians to Albania. Every Albanian in the world could, in theory, be sent to Albania, right? The Albanian government will receive them. Um, that is not the case for if you want to send Afghans to Rwanda. There is, generally speaking, and this is why it's been so difficult, even though the idea of sending refugees away to other countries has been on the table in discussion among politicians for decades, it's been so difficult to find a country that will do it because most countries don't agree to be some other country's dumping ground for just random foreign nationals who they then have to take in. That's not how most countries work. Um, So there's that. Okay, so the the Albanian number of Albanians on small boats has decreased. They are also the only nationality that is excluded from the Rwanda plan. There's no evidence whatsoever that Rwanda is any kind of a deterrent. Um, That so that that's the key thing. But then also I would like to emphasize that the numbers of people on boats have gone down, largely driven by the fact that there are fewer Albanians making the crossing specifically. Other nationalities, actually the same kind of numbers are crossing. But we know that the number of people seeking asylum is is the same as last, like in 2023 and 2022, it's pretty much exactly the same number of people seeking asylum, even though the numbers on the boats have gone down. So yes, the Albanian deal may have diverted Albanians away from the channel crossing, but it hasn't impacted numbers. And this is what happens when you 
shut down one route or you effectively stop people from from making use of one one way of entering the country it just shifts it around and albanians are now um at greater risk of being trafficked through lorries um being in control of smugglers who can uh, are getting them false paperwork and false visas um and then they they remain under those smugglers control and under those traffickers control at serious risk of forced labor and exploitation and sexual abuse and all kinds of horrors and um, so so that's the other side of it one is that you can't compare the albanian deal to the rwandan deal and the other side is that the albanian deal is not working in the way that the government is is presenting it in fact it's putting um the people who are at risk of trafficking in albania at greater risk mm. we've got quite a horrible clip actually up next which is um this was from uh, Jess Phillips, and she was talking about some of the some absolutely horrendous. It's not even a word that's good enough to describe this clip. Um, some sexual abuse that was suffered by a woman who the Home Office was attempting to deport. So we'll just play that clip. I, I want everybody in here to know that they are about to vote for a bill that they have absolutely no idea how much it's going to cost. Like, we haven't been given that information. Um, I was in for the committee stage of the debate. I was in for the committee stage of the debate earlier, and the chair of the, the Home Affairs Select Committee said that there was um, a, a view that each person that was sent to Rwanda would cost £169,000. And it piqued my anger so greatly, because I had just come from an event with the Home Secretary around uh, it being a year on from the independent child sexual abuse in inquiry and what progress we have made since then. And I was holding in my hand a piece of paper that said that in 2022, 100,000 children were sexually abused and came forward and said it. And then I looked up how much money the Home Office was allocating for their sexual abuse against children fund in 2022. And it was four point five million pounds which I worked out was 42 pounds for every child who'd been raped in that year and I thought what political capital of walking round and round and round and round for now the third bill for something that won't work and 150 judges can be found yesterday under the yeah. I don't know the sofa by the Prime Minister when cases in my constituency of rape victims waiting seven years to get in front yeah. of a judge. Yeah. You sh frankly, Mr Speaker, people who think that the amount of time spent on wasting taxpayers' money on something that hasn't worked the last two times we tried it and will not work this time, frankly, Mr Speaker, should be ashamed of themselves for voting for something when they don't have any idea how much it's going to cost the people in their constituencies. Yeah. I hope they feel shame for the amount of airtime and the amount who turned up today, but not for the victims of child abuse. Excuse me, would you like to intervene? No. Um, the, the other thing I want to say is that I was in a British court last week, not a foreign court, a British court. I was in a British court with a victim of human trafficking. She'd been trafficked twice. We deported her once already as a trafficking victim, and she was re-trafficked back to this country. 
And I went to the upper tribunal with her last week. She has two children born of the repeated rapes that she suffered as a victim of human trafficking. And the, the, the Home Office was trying to deport her again, to which the judge scolded the Home Office lawyers for daring to bring it in front of them. And because I was sat in the courtroom, the Home Office lawyers were not so keen to give their evidence in front of me, so they didn't really give any. Yeah, I wonder why they didn't want to talk about how it was fine for a woman who'd been ritually raped repeatedly and repeatedly to have to go back to the country where that had happened and, she'd been and she had been trafficked to here. I have heard nothing today in any of the debates about when we pick up, scoop up all these people without any appeal, what happens to the victims of human trafficking? What happens to them? Because currently, I've sat in courtrooms where this government is abusing them. I would never vote for this, not today, and neither should anybody else. So this clip is important because the bill that went through last night um, to try and, I suppose, um, en entertain the, the further right side of the Tory party, Rishi Sunak was introducing this, um, this cog in the, the legislation that would put tougher regulations on civil servants, and it would mean that civil servants have to always abide by the government of the day, whatever their will is. But do you think, I mean, judging by that clip, do you think that we need tougher regulations on civil servants or would this indicate that the Home Office is already carrying out the will of the government? Anybody who has worked with refugees who are going through the asylum system can tell you about the culture in the Home Office. That has, it's been exposed in the papers time and time again, in fact. The culture in the Home Office towards asylum seekers is one of disbelief and rejection. Um, and I have seen refugees dragged through the courts who have obvious, clear, traumatic protection needs um, on, on completely, so you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't believe the sort of grounds that they tried to bring, it's just simply they have, um, they've been exposed in the past for having targets for numbers of rejections. Um, they have a culture where you are expected to be refusing people and seeing people with skepticism. But then there's also, it goes further than that, because if you are exposed every day to people telling you stories about horrific incidents and horrific abuses and torture and, and sexual violence and so on that they've experienced, it's a, a clearly studied, um, human defense mechanism that your brain will start to tell you that you, this isn't true because um that protects you from the vicarious trauma of hearing those stories again and again um and there's very very little evidence that there is adequate training and and support for decision makers in the home office to prevent them from making the wrong decisions and and falsely disbelieving people and there's plenty of evidence that they are wrong when they disbelieve people for example more than half of appeals for the last five years six years seven years more than half of asylum appeals are allowed. That means that the Home Office decision maker, the civil servant, said, no, you're not a refugee. And the refugee in question had to go through a, a really long and difficult and, and traumatic and expensive for the state, I might add, um, appeals process and go to court and be cross-examined. And the court has found that, yes, in fact, they clearly are a refugee and they do need protection. And that's happening in half of cases. So there is a massive problem of the civil service um, in the Home Office making the wrong decision to 
to to the detriment of refugees. Um, and it simply never happens. And anybody who works with refugees will tell you, it just never happens that somebody who doesn't really need protection gets it. Um, and what happens all the time, day in, day out, what is our experience, what we see all the time is people who genuinely need protection, who are rejected and who are re-traumatized by the system. So no, we do not need to make that system tougher. For decades and decades, there has been a pretense that by cutting people's rights and making the system harsher, we will prevent people from coming. And the evidence is before our very eyes. They're still here. We're just treating them horribly. That's all that's happening. I think on that treating them horribly, it goes back to what you were saying at the beginning as well. It's the the language that we use around asylum seekers that is particularly horrifying. I mean, yesterday, Keir Starmer opened PMQs up with this question of where have these 6,000 asylum seekers who were earmarked for Rwanda, where have they gone? You've lost them. And the language that was being used around them, you know, the Tories were saying that they had absconded from hotels as if they are prisoners or they are criminals and they have you know somehow broken the law I mean how how damaging do you think that kind of rhetoric is I think there's a really clear shift that happened um with the introduction of specifically of the um so-called illegal migration act which was uh Suella Braverman's attempt. So we had Priti Patel's attempt, then we had Suella Braverman's attempt, and now we have uh, this third piece of legislation, the safety of Rwanda, so-called bill, going through. Um, I think the language changed um, during Suella Braverman's attempt uh, to to stop the boats, uh, which obviously failed. Um, And we started seeing the mainstream uh, media universally adopt the language of illegal migration to speak about asylum seekers, um, which is, there have been countless studies that have been done on this. It very strongly impacts people's um, opinions of the people you're talking about. If you talk about men, women, and children who have escaped from war and persecution and are seeking sanctuary, people, respond more positively. And if you talk about illegal migrants, people think it's all right to treat people poorly. And that that has been studied. That is a phenomenon that is true. And it has been deliberately um, achieved. And what is really shocking, honestly, I really do ask myself what, you know, the journalists, you know, mainstream journalists, I'm not talking about GB News, like the, the people at the BBC who two years ago were reporting on stories about asylum seekers and are today reporting the same stories and using the words illegal migrants. What what do they think they're doing? You have so much responsibility and so much power. What do you think you're doing? Especially, I I always think about the the phrase military-aged men, that becoming quite a natural part of the vernacular. I just thought that was really frightening, especially when you, you know, there was a story, I think it was only picked up by The Guardian, about uh, 500 children who had just gone missing, um, just gone missing from hotels. Some of them that are thought to have been trafficked. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't quite work in the, narr- the the rhetoric, does it, if you, you talk about children who've come here and gone missing. But I just want to finish on one thing. So GB News, speaking of, did you see the Lee Anderson clip? Where he said, so that I'll just play it now. I went into the no lobby to to vote no because I, um, you know, I couldn't see how I could support the bill after backing all the amendments. I got into the no lobby, I spent about two or three minutes with a colleague in there, 
the labour lot was all, all giggling and laughing and, and taking the mic and I couldn't do it in my heart of hearts, I could not vote no, so I walked out and, and come out, so I've abstained. Um, I wanted to vote no, but when I saw that lot in there laughing, um, there's no way I could support them um, above the party that's, that's given me a political home. So that's Lee Anderson there, and he's saying that he was going to vote against the Rwanda bill yesterday, but he couldn't because he was being laughed at by his former Labour colleagues. I mean, what do you think that says about the sort of the state of debate or the state of conversation around asylum seekers? If you could be put off by a few, I don't know, playground insults from following whatever you believe in. Well, I think the playground is the right way to look at this. Somebody like Lee Anderson is concerned about Lee Anderson and is concerned about Lee Anderson's career and uh, the money he's making from his GB News show and the power that he has as an MP and as a member of the government, which, you know, he dramatically flounced out of over this bill that he then voted for. Um, and he's weaving a narrative completely deliberately and, and really quite transparently um, for when this bill inevitably fails to be able to say, oh, well, I tried to make it a version that he claims would have worked. Um, and what that achieves is lots of attention on Lee Anderson, which suits him great, and an absolute shifting of our conversation about this bill to whether or not the government's falling apart, rather than what does it actually do? And I think that's really, really, again, and I've, I've had a bit of a go at the media, <laughs> Um, already, but like, why has the conversation about this bill been so focused on the Tory psychodrama that we have been tired of for a decade, to be honest? And instead of talking about the fact that it has been demonstrated by the evidence, by the highest British court in the land, that it is not safe to send people to Rwanda. And Lee Anderson doesn't have to consider his personal safety, whether he would be at risk of harm, of torture, of abuse, um, you know, of, of, of real, real physical harm uh, if he votes through this ridiculous lie of a bill. He just has to worry about his career. But the people, the, what, what this bill actually does is it says that, you know, regardless of how people will actually be impacted, we'll send them there anyway. We say it's fine. And the people, you have to just think of what that really means for actual people who may well be sent to Rwanda and come to real harm. Those are human beings. It comes back to what I was saying before. Those human beings are just as human and just as real and matter just as much as Lee Anderson or you or me. And that conversation about what we're really doing to those people has been totally lost because it's so much more exciting to talk about whether Rishi Sunak's got the votes. And honestly, I think, I think that that's what you know, what, what the Tory rebels have achieved. There's, what, 11 rebels in the end who voted against the bill yesterday. And we've we've talked about this for weeks. And our entire national conversation where we could have been talking about the houses we need to build and the NHS crisis and, you know, the environment that's collapsing, we, we could have been talking about issues that actually affect us. But 11 lunatics on the extreme far right of the Tory party have totally dominated everything that we have to say today and that only benefits people like Lee Anderson. Shut the fridge. It's the Politics Show cast. Thank you for listening. 
If you enjoyed that or you hated that, you can tell us on the Politics Joe Reddit or tell us on Twitter at politicsjoe underscore UK or DM us on Instagram. Thanks. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.